0: From Parkway Church in Corona, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you came today looking for a Thanksgiving message and us going to dive in on why we should be grateful and thankful, it's not today unfortunately. um, But we are in a series, and what is sown into today's word is something I'm truly grateful for and very thankful for. And if you hang on to the end and and journey with me today, I believe you too, if you are a follower of Christ, will be grateful and thankful as well. Uh, We are in a series looking at Paul's word, in Ephesians chapter 6. You have a Bible you can turn there as Paul's talking about our daily struggles as followers of Christ, as the church. And if you know anything about the book of Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians, the church of Ephesus that he's writing to, um, he's writing to them to really teach them what it means to be this new humanity in Christ. What it mean- means to be a new kind of people in Jesus. And he's giving them a new lens on which to view life. Some have said an alternate reading of reality and so in this final chapter of this letter paul is pulling back the curtain on struggles and he's basically showing us that there's more than meets the eye in those day-to-day struggles that we that we have it's war And if you've been tracking with us a little bit, we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, and we will continue to talk about this for a few weeks more. But just to kind of bring everyone up to speed, here's what we know so far. Number one is this is a conflict with multiple layers. It's a conflict with multiple layers. It's not just against your spouse, your struggles, and your kids, and your coworkers, and your boss, in that institution. There's a conflict where powerful spiritual realities are at work. Rulers and powers and authorities, Paul describes, in an unseen realm, influencing the here and now. It's, it's fought in the spiritual space, but it's felt in a physical space in which we see and feel. But let's be fair. We're not fighting directly against spiritual powers. And people aren't just puppets. The devil just didn't make you do it, people. People devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Devil can't make you do anything in Christ unless you are possessed. He can't make you do anything. The truth is we do struggle against flesh and blood. I don't know about you. I struggle with people all the time, with my kids all the time. We struggle with family members, right? But influencing Behind that are spiritual realities that we cannot see. If you look at Jesus, Jesus obviously struggled with people, Pharisees and religious teachers, authorities, but he also went toe-to-toe with Satan in the desert. He struggled with people. He struggled with spiritual authority. There are layers in this struggle. There are layers, and I think Paul is revealing to us that it's not just against flesh and blood. There's something more that we just need to press pause on and take a look at. Number two is we have a very real spiritual enemy. Creative beings designed by God to administrate his rule and his reign, his justice, but of their own free will, they rebelled. The leader is who we call the devil. He's a powerful, lying, deceiving, manipulating slanderer whose goal is to hurt God by hurting you. Doesn't care about you, you're a pawn in the chess game. But he wants to hurt God, and by hurting God, he's seeking to wreak havoc on our lives and our soul. And so behind, when you think of life, you think of your day-to-day, you think of our nation, you think of our globe, behind every struggle, every authority, every nation, every religion, every movement is a spiritual reality at work. That's really hard for us to comprehend or think about. But if we believe in the scriptures, if we believe in Jesus, and we believe what Jesus taught, then we hold to that truth. Number three, in this struggle, God calls us to stand firm. Paul, if you read at the beginning of the section, he says, stand firm in God's strength and his mighty power to hold fast to him. Because this is not a battle you need to win, because it's already been won. Like, we, we think that we need to win this battle. I got oh, to beat the enemy here. No, you don't because he's already lost. You just need to recognize that we're fighting from a place of victory. We're not fighting for victory. We have it. We're fighting from victory. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, let's read it together, bring everyone up to speed. Starting verse 10, it says this, finally, Paul is speaking, finally, after everything is discussed, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, because that is our struggle, he says, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith which is, from which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we often don't think about this, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for worship. Lord, Pastor Zoe leading us this morning. We thank you for the gifts that she has through you. We thank you for, God, the ability to come before your presence and just glorify you. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your sacrifice, your atoning work on the cross, we are made right before God, and we can enter into the the holy of holies, the throne room of God boldly and worship. And as we turn our attention to the scripture today, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us as only you can. I'm a vessel for you this morning, God, and would you give us ears to hear. Help us to recognize that in this struggle, God, we may struggle, but we fight from a place of victory. And in Christ, we are right before God. Pray this, ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So uh, fun, quick fact for you. I was thinking about, I was encouraged this morning. Someone came to me and encouraged me just in, in my ministry. And uh, I was thinking about my speaking. You know, I have, I have, I have three kids. I have four kids now. <laughs> I'm losing count, Sorry. And you know dinner time can be challenging with kids, right? Dinner time can be challenging. You get some have a taste for certain things and some have a taste for other things and you know in our house we don't, you know, you do you, but we don't make multiple meals. You get what you get and you don't get upset. And some kids in our family will sit there for a long time chewing on the food because it's just not to their flavor and we are great Jody's gracious. I'm not as gracious. Um, I'm just being honest. But, but I recognize that in, the, in church, we all have a different style and flavor of, of teaching that we like. You know, so I always strive to, to include, you know, I, I weave in teaching you know, I try to dig in a little bit deeper on the background a little bit. And some of you are like, man, that just goes over my head. I'm not for that. You know, I don't want that stuff. And so bear with us when we're doing that because then sometimes we get over here. Some of you want like powerful preaching. You want the, the preacher to shout at you. And and I do that from time to time. It's not against you. i got nothing against you, but I just get passionate and I start talking really loud. And, and so I blend a little bit of everything. So historical fact for you who are keen to like this kind of stuff, when you were first reading... Um, this, if you were in the early century, first readers, audience of Paul's letter, you would have not pictured a male Roman soldier when you heard this. I, to be fair, those of you who heard last week, I did show you a picture of a male Roman soldier. But Paul is writing under house arrest, and likely a Roman soldier was guarding him, and that was probably the spark of creativity, I believe, that helped him as he reflected on these struggles. But he's writing to the church, which is the bride of Christ, He's writing to the church, the bride of Christ, the people of God. And they are the ones envisioning them wearing the armor. So interestingly, scholars suggest that the early readers would have pictured a female. In fact, people groups in the first century were often referred to in, in female ways. And the, the most prominent one was the Roman people were f- referred to as Roma. And if you did like a Google search, you'd have to dig a little bit. You know Google sometimes doesn't show things you want to see, but you have to dig a little bit. You could, you could actually see a picture of, of Rome personified through the figure Roma wearing things, often like a shield or a helmet, often. And this is part of the picture likely in the mind of the earlier audience when they envisioned themselves putting on the armor. Last week we talked about the belt of truth. That was God's truth, God's reality. Truth was that which corresponds with reality. And in our culture, truth is under attack. Therefore, we needed to fasten around our waist. Truth, first and foremost, above all, first and foremost. Secondly, today, we're going to look at, Paul says, to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. My boys, uh, they're into Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art. Lots of kicking. If you ever watch fancy movies and there's like lots of spinny kind of kicks in the movie that's likely Taekwondo, and they're into that. I was into it as a kid, and so I'm like the sideline coach. Uh, you, know, you know the parent that's always kind of like pointing and, and doing these things? Because I know, so I'm watching my kids sometimes, and they, t- they even have signs up not to do this they have like signs saying no sideline coaching and my boys will look back at me as they're they're like kicking the look back at me like and I'm like no you know get up, get up higher you know twist it and try. cuz I'm, I'm I don't care about anybody else out there but I'm I'm making sure that their skills are up up to par but part of taekwondo you know every time they get their are training they get pads kicking pads and they have to hold the pad for their partners their partner kicks the pad or shields and they have to take the blow of the kick and and that's just part of the day to day kind of training for this martial art, but every so often as you progress in this, as you put down the kicking pads, and you get into a circle against a partner, and you fight. And to a child, nine, seven, depending on the child, that could be either exhilarating, when I get to hit somebody, or terrifying. And I remember the first time I told my boys that, hey, there's going to come a point in this where you actually have to take these skills and you have to use them in a a match. And the look of dread and fear that was on. When, when do I have to, is that true? But in Taekwondo, you don't just go like this. There's gear, there's armor that you put on. And and one of the pieces is, is the chest protector. This is my kids. Chest protector, this is the closest thing I could find to a breastplate of righteousness. And it is righteous. But you, you, you put this on, and, and what this allows you to do is, is face against your partner and take a blow with less intensity, right? You could receive something. I almost, I almost wanted to bring someone up and just say, like, punch me in the gut, but then I didn't really think that through. I thought, maybe someone will come up here, and, and it would actually really hurt, and then I could just not continue on. And so I'm not going to do that. But, but I had thought about it. I thought that would be interesting. People would remember that message. But hopefully you'll remember now just because I brought it up, right? But I don't know if you ever got the wind knocked out of you, but it's, it's intense. And so this kind of stops that. And with your adrenaline going, you can, you can take the fight. And in the same way, in the early century, in Roman soldier, the breastplate would, be, would have guarded the central most part of their organs, their heart and their lungs and their stomach. It was, it was made of not this squishy material that you can bend. It was made of metal, heavy metal. And it covered the front and it covered the back. Should I just wear this the whole time? as an illustrative purpose? I don't know. Maybe I will. No, I'm not going to. You won't be distracted, but I will. And then I'll keep joking like this, and we won't get anywhere where we need to go. But the Roman soldier breastplate, it was made of heavy metal, and it covered the the front and the back. And so Paul tells the church and the struggle that we face, this spiritual struggle, he says, put on a breastplate of righteousness, fastened around the most crucial part of your life, and that is your heart. Your heart. So Paul tells us to take a stand against the struggle with righteousness. Here's what you need to understand about the enemy. He's going for your heart. He's going for your heart. He's going to falsely accuse you of wrong. He's going to Focus on the sins that you've done in your past, cause you to feel shame, and guilt. The sin that you did yesterday, is gonna make you feel bad. Even though you've looked to the cross for forgiveness, he wants to plant seeds of doubt in your heart. You are not right before God. I can't believe you did that. You know God's not gonna forgive you for that one. That's a big one. That's the kind of one that you can't tell anybody. That's not a minor sin. That's a major sin. Who do you think you really are? You think you can hide long? God knows, and he doesn't, he doesn't accept you. You're too big of a sinner. You're too messed up. You're too broken. You're too far gone. You are not good enough. That sin is too great. He will not forgive you for that. He's already forgiven you. You think he's going to forgive you again? You think he's that? Do you think he really cares that much? about you. And so Paul says, in order to take a a stand against that enemy, we need to fasten around our chest the breastplate of righteousness. There's two sides to this breastplate. The first side is the truth, the righteousness we receive in Christ. And the second side has to do with our actions. So first, what guards us, what enables us to take a stand in the power of God is the atoning work of Christ on the cross. It actually makes us right before God, making us a new people. You can take a stand against the schemes of the devil, not because of your goodness, not because of your deeds, not because of anything you've done to please a holy God. Sometimes the devil's right when he says you're not good enough. I, mean, I don't want to hear a pastor say that. But that was the point of the cross. Is that we weren't able to be right before God. No good deed could please a holy God. All have sinned and fallen short of his standard. Scripture says that we were dead in our sins. Unable to save ourselves, but because of the righteousness of Christ on our behalf, we've been justified before a holy God. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin. There was no sin in Christ. He was righteous. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So when the devil says, you don't have what it takes, you're not good enough, you're messed up, yeah, you're right, devil, but guess what? In him, I'm made right before God. In him, I'm cleansed. In Christ Jesus, I can boldly approach the throne. He took our sin upon himself, and he died the death that we should have died. It's a gospel message right here. He died the death that we should have died. So he took it from us, but then through the power of the resurrection, he was made alive. And he gave us his righteousness. It's called the Great Exchange. His sin or our sin for his righteousness. And so we stand before God acquitted, and we stand before God justified. And so we can look at the devil and say, Hold up a second. Hold up. I know I've been made right before God. I know he has forgiven me. I know I'm cleansed because of his righteousness. And we can look at him as he comes and tries to accuse us of wrongdoing, tries to slander our name, tries to shame us and and cause us to to wellow in self-pity and guilt. We can say, wait a second. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He will seek to condemn you But the judge, the righteous judge who wields the hammer, who has the ability to send the soul to hell, says you've been made right before God in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so how do we take a stand against the enemy? We put on that breastplate of righteousness. And we wear that badge with strength. Romans chapter 3 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And you believe the deception, church, and you believe the lie when you believe anything less as a follower of Christ. If He comes to you and says, you are not good enough, and you are not forgiven, and you've been rejected, and you start to believe that truth, and you say, I have been rejected. God rejects me. You've believed less. You believed the lie. Because if you were in Jesus, you have, a, you have looked to the cross for forgiveness. I don't care if you messed up yesterday. Maybe you messed up on the way here, right? Maybe you fell short. We struggle. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite pictures, stories of Christ and the woman caught in adultery. His religious teachers come to bring her to Jesus, you know, and he starts talking to them. He says, who's without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, by, by the oldest, the most wisest, the one with some experience, they start to realize, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm a sinner. And they drop the stones. But there's this beautiful line that Jesus says to the woman. He, he says, look around. Who here condemns you? She looks around and she says, no one. And then he says, neither do I. Now think about that for a second. This is the Son of God, saying there's no condemnation. Because one of the biggest tactics the enemy will use against you is condemning you for your wrong. And thank God for Christ, because in Christ there's none. Outside of Christ we are guilty, but in Christ we've been freed from that. The enemy loves to point out our sins. He loves to accuse our conscience, to suggest that God rejects us. He loves to get us to think that if we, especially Christians, if he can get you to work a little bit harder, serve a little bit harder, if you could be just a little bit more righteous, then you'll be accepted. You know, if he can't get you to get stuck in some sin, he'll get you to focus on your righteousness. You just got to be a little bit better. You're doing. You're almost there. He'll say, "You're almost there. Just a little bit better," and God will truly accept you. He'll be pleased with you. How kind you are. You open that. He'll, you know, you do those things, and then he'll finally let you in. That's how. That's not how it works. And unfortunately, at least in our culture, evangelicalism is we sometimes twist in grace and works. I've been saved by grace, but if I'm good enough, God will still love. He'll love me more. It's not true. That's not true. I don't read in my Bible. And if your Bible says anything less, get rid of that Bible because it's not a real Bible. Let's turn to the other side. Righteousness is actually the word justice in, our Greek, in the Greek world. It had more to do with virtue to the first century. It had more to do with right conduct and, and justice. Someone once said you could define righteousness as rightly relating to another. Rightly relating to another. It's not just something that Christ did for us. It had to do with our conduct and our behavior. So because of Jesus, because of what Christ has done, I'm made right before God, but now in Christ I choose to live righteously. Because of what God has done for me in His power, I now choose to act rightly, to live holy according to His Word. Because He's clothed me in His righteousness, and before himself, I'm acquitted, justified. I now clothe myself in right conduct. I now seek to live a life that pleases them. Not because I believe those things will justify me or save me or please God, but because I've been saved and because I've been justified. Jesus, the, or James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter, called it actions that accompany true faith. If you remember the, the, the scripture, from James, he says, faith without works is dead. So, in Paul's mind, to take a stand against the schemes of the enemy, I put on the righteousness of Christ around my heart as the enemy seeks to accuse me of wrong conduct, but I also choose to live and act in a way that reflects my faith in Christ. And by doing so, I'm guarded against more schemes and deception from a spiritual enemy who's looking to knock me out. Actions are actually, actually a conduit that either open us up to the things of God or open us up to the working of the enemy. My actions. Priscilla Shire said it this way. She said, Righteousness is right side up living that invites the presence of God in my life. Unrighteousness is upside down behavior that creates an environment that invites the enemy in. You don't have to invite the devil into your life. You just got to act in a way that, isn't in, that is inconsistent with God's word, and you open yourself up. Unrighteousness puts a crack in the doorway that gives the enemy a foothold over my life. I don't know if you've ever tried to close a door when someone's got their foot in there. I don't care how strong you are. You might break the door, but you ain't closing the door when there's a foot in there. Righteousness isn't about living perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Some people like to think pastors are, but we're not. None of us are. That's why righteousness is received through faith. But righteousness is about choosing to live a life in alignment with the truth that I affirm. I fasten my, around my waist the truth of God, the, the, the belt of truth, right, in accordance with the truth of God's Word, and then righteousness is acting in accordance with that truth. This is the truth that I affirm, now I act accordingly. There are so many of us who claim to love Christ, to walk in Christ, affirm His truth, but then our behavior is inconsistent with that truth. And we wonder why as we pray against the enemy and as we serve in church and we go through the motions and we do the actions, the things that we think are required of us, that we still fall victim to his lies and his deception and his work. Because we often come here and do what the scriptures say, we praise him with our lips. But then we walk out the doors and we live inconsistent with what we praise him for where you don't live that integrated life. We are one thing here, because the pastor's looking, because others will see. And then at work, or in your home, or in, in your whatever, school, wherever it is, everywhere else, with that group, you're something else. It's upside down behavior. Conscious, willful sin cracks the breastplate put ho- it put holes in the breastplate exposes the most important part of our being our heart to pure evil it makes us vulnerable if you're finding in your life jealousy bitterness resentment maybe in relationships if you're feeling division around your circles you're seeing the handiwork of the devil, ask yourself, is there anything in my behavior and in my lifestyle that is inconsistent with what God says for me to do? Maybe not. we We can't force someone else to be in line with God's word, but we need to ask ourselves, is there something in how I'm living? And ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there something in my conduct that offends you? And let me tell you this, church, if you're someone that has to justify your actions, you're probably already fighting a losing battle. Well, God's Word actually says this, though. And it might be true, but if if you're justifying, it means somewhere inside your heart, you probably feel a check of the Spirit saying this is wrong for you. And just so you know, there's a standard that God has for all of us, but then sometimes he pinpoints some things in our own individual life. and says, I want you to work on this. But nobody else has to work on this. What's up, Jesus? Why am I the only one? Because I'm calling you a higher standard. That's why. It's called personal conviction. God, is there anything in my life that's inconsistent? I'm seeing these things around me. I keep pointing the finger elsewhere, but... Is there something in me, my behavior? Because upside down living exposes me to the enemy. The breastplate of righteousness, it was the heaviest piece of the Roman soldier's equipment. And it needed to be because of what it protected, the, the heart, the lungs, you know, your stomach, you get your, cut, your gut cut open, and that spills everywhere. That's not fun. I've never been there. I say that like personal experience, but I have not that personal experience. But it didn't, it didn't matter how strong you were as a soldier. It didn't matter how fast you were. It didn't matter how many skills you had. If you could puncture the heart, if you could puncture those vital organs, you could, you could remove an enemy from the battle. The heart, the Scriptures reveal to us, is the wellspring of our life. Everything Christ said flows from the heart. That's so why the enemy tempts us towards sinful behavior towards unrighteousness, because if He can get your heart, it doesn't matter how, how many scriptures you know, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can recite, how many studies you've been to, I don't care how smart you are, you could be a scholar. In fact, there are Christians, there's, there's scholars who study the Word and are not followers of Jesus Christ. There are scholars today in this world who know this better than you and me, and they are not followers of Jesus because if the enemy can get your heart, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how much church experience you have. Well, I've been in the church for X amount of years. Fantastic, great. It doesn't matter. Because if he can puncture your heart and get into your heart and sow a seed of, of sinfulness, of doubt, of whatever, the devil knows the Scripture no more than me and you. He can get your heart. He doesn't care what truth you have. Truth you affirm. He's looking for your behavior. Why is it that so many fall from faith and into sin? It's not likely because of the truth they affirm. It's because of behavior they either are experiencing in themselves or around them. They're seeing inconsistency. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very mindful as a parent with young children that there's a disconnect between what kids believe and say they'll do and what they actually do. It's very frustrating. Um, there's, there's a very real reality that who is around their life and the behaviors that they witness will influence them more than the truths that I teach them. And re- I know that to be true is really hard in action. In fact, neurologists actually teach us and share to us that the part of our brain that is associated with action isn't fully mature until you're 25 years old. And so, there is a, if you have a child or a teenager, there is a disparity between what they say they believe and what they do, not because of their moral center, just because their brain isn't fully developed, which is very frustrating as a parent. But I think that's what the enemy wants to do with our spiritual life. He wants the disparity between the truth that we fasten around us and our righteousness. He's not... Caring about the truth. If if, if you've fastened that truth around you, you've girded your loins with truth. He's going for your righteousness. He's going for your conduct. He's going for your behavior. You can have all the truth in here and wrapped around you. You can expel all the messages that you you think are inconsistent with the truth, but if he can get your behavior, that's why often in churches, the bigger sins are not the, you know, drunken lifestyles. It's the self-righteousness. It's the arrogance. It's the pride. It's the it's the Pharisee who comes to the center of the altar and says, "I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like anybody around here. I'm not like that guy. Look at that guy. I know what he did. I saw what he posted. Oh gosh, embarrassing. I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm me. And we may not do it to the degree that Jesus shares that story, but we do it. We cast judgment. And I'm not talking about righteous, sound judgment that is looking to actually repair relationship and see people reconcile. I'm talking about hypocritical, like, oh my goodness, did you hear about so and so? Gossip. Did you hear what they did? Shut your mouth. Did you just tell us that, Pastor? I did, and I don't regret it. He wants inconsistency in our truth and our actions. invite Dave. You can come back up here, Dave. The weight of the breastplate was so heavy for a soldier to wear that in order to bear the burden of the weight of it all, he needed that belt in place. Otherwise, the weight of it all would be on the shoulders, and the soldier would find himself... Winded before he even took his post or went into battle. That's why they fastened around themselves, girded their loins and fastened around themselves the belt first so that when they put the breastplate on, it could help hold up the weight both here and here. And so this is why in Paul's discussion, I believe that this is a two-sided coin. See, our own righteousness can only hold us up for so long. Our own, own righteousness can only, only hold us up for so long before we cave under the pressure because, listen, God's standard is perfect. What does God require from his word? Perfection. You look at the Ten Commandments. You're like, oh, I don't kill anybody. But what did Jesus say? You hate your brother in your heart. You're a murderer. Oh, I don't like that. Well, I haven't committed adultery. I'm faithful to my spouse. What did Jesus say? He took, Jesus took everything deeper. He said, if you look in your mind, your mind's eye lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. In your, in your heart. God's, God's standard is perfection. Listen, only perfect people get eternity. Well, that's not good news, because I'm not perfect. Yes, That's why we got Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because he lived the life that we could not live. And so here's what happens, church, is yes, I need to be mindful of my conduct because my conduct will expose me to the enemy or open me up to the things of God. But if I rest on my conduct, on my righteousness for salvation, I'm screwed because I cannot bear that weight. It will crush me. You try to live a moral life long enough with your own strength and you will die under the pressure. But with Christ's truth fastened around my waist, that guess what? I'm not made righteous before God because of what I do. But the truth is, I'm made right before God because of what He did. I can bear the weight of my righteousness. I can hold up my conduct. Not because of my strength, but because of the truth. That is the breastplate of righteousness. How do I put on the breastplate? Well, you better fasten around your waist, church, that you are made right before God, not because of you. Because if you let that truth sink, you will cave under the pressure. That's why we have family members and neighbors and people who have fallen from God or, or have left the faith or have left the church because too often we don't recognize that truth. It's not a hard thing for us. It's a behavior thing. And when I just try to do moral behavior, try to change it, I want to be better. So I'm going to work harder at being less selfish. Like that, that's what drives me nuts. I have not preached on it yet. I will one day, but the fruit of the Spirit. So, we talk about how do we love harder and how do we have more patience. And, you know, what is this moral behavior modification? Last time I read, it was fruit of the Spirit, not actions of call being more patient. Listen, I've tried. I got young kids and I'm an impatient person. And I've tried to have more patience and I suck at it. I'm not good at it, it does not come from me naturally. And so I can only actually recognize and, and rest on the truth of God that says patience is something that comes through the Spirit of God. Some of us are just naturally more patient. God bless you. You've been gifted that way. I have not. But if I just try to do it by my own strength, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to not sin anymore. This habitual sin. Yeah, there's actions we got to put in place. Listen, if you struggle with lust, stop looking at the computer late at night. Give your phone. Destroy it. It's not worth that much anyway. Well, it might be worth a thousand bucks. But other than that, it's not worth it's not worth your soul. Like, put do the actions that you gotta do to, to get your behavior right. But listen, it's not gonna save you. At the end, you don't have enough strength. It will not last. And I speak that from experience. You need the strength of God to hold up your righteousness. That's why Paul begins this whole text by what? Standing firm, not on your own strength, in his strength. And his mighty power. Cause that breastplate, man, this one's really light because it's it's not made of metal and it's for kids in taekwondo. For kids in taekwondo. But that breastplate was made of metal. Imagine, imagine fighting with that on. Imagine the weight of that in battle. And you're like, you're not just like shooting a gun from far away. You're not pressing a button and watching a bomb drop. Like you got a sword and you got a shield. Like this is close combat. That's a lot of weight. So how do I hold that up? You can't see it, but I got a belt in there. I got the belt of truth that my standing before God is on his righteousness, not my own. And so now I can. I can walk in right conduct, not because of my own strength, because of the power of God in me, because of the truth of God around me. And so when the enemy comes to you, the devil, listen, he is manipulative and he is deceptive. And he's cunning, he's smart. He's been around for thousands of generations. Don't think that you're smarter than him. He's a creative being. He's not infinite. He has finite knowledge. He is not all-knowing. Him and God are not equals, but he is smart, and he knows how to manipulate. And so when he comes and he tries to deceive you and lie to you, what do you instantly go to first? Well, justify your behavior. Go back to the, the righteousness of Christ wait a second, I'm a child of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, there may be ramifications for your choices. In my home, my kids get consequences for their behavior. But I don't kick them out. Sometimes I want to. (laughs) I don't kick them out. In fact, something I I tell my kids, my boys almost every night since they're young, Emmy, we're going to start there. And then Abby, I say, actually, I have started with Emmy. I say, whose son, whose daughter are you? And they say, your son, your daughter. And then I say, when's that going to change? I stole this. I'm not that smart. I got this from somebody else. I say, when's that going to change? And they say, never. And now that the boys are a little bit older and their brains are going a little bit more and they start thinking about their actions, they start feeling shame. Their feelings are really hurt because of it. I make sure that after that, after Daddy's been typical impatient Daddy, I go back and, and I say, hey, whose son are you? I'm your son. You know what that means? It doesn't matter what you do, how often you fall short, how much you mess up, you're always going to be my boy. And if you remain in Christ, that's what Christ says to us. Yeah, you screwed up. Man, you screwed up big time. It's okay, I still love you. And guess what? My grace is big enough for that. My righteousness covers that. That is what we get in Christ, that is what we get in Jesus the great exchange. My sin for his righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says, Christ is the accumulation of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So when we feel like we're buckling under the pressure, we feel like we can't meet the standard, the enemy tries to accuse us, says, You're a sinner. You say, Yeah, but thank God for Christ Jesus, eh, devil? And he's got nothing. Thank God that I'm in Christ. That I have him in my life. And because of him, I can stand before the holy God. I can stand before the Father. I can enter into eternity with boldness. Because when he looks at me, he does not see my sin, but he sees his son. And the sacrifice of his son. Thank you, Jesus. So maybe you're here today, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and and you don't know Jesus. Here's the harsh reality the scriptures reveal. We could talk about this, but we're guilty of that sin outside of Christ but it's a free gift that is available to us in Christ. We just need to look to him. The Bible says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us of unrighteousness. So if you're here today and you have never made that commitment to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and invited him to be Lord of your life and let that wash you and cleanse you and you're like, I want to make that decision today. I want us to pray together. Everybody in-house, online, if you're a believer, I want you to pray with me. And if you're here today and you've never made that commitment to Christ, I just want you in your heart to make that commitment today. So would everybody repeat after me? Let's repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess today that I'm a sinner in need of you. But I recognize today the truth of what you've done for me. Forgive my sin and be Lord of my life today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you made that decision today truly in your heart, the Bible says there's more celebration over the one that returns than the 99 that are righteous. So if you made that decision today, there's a party happening right now. If you made it in your heart, you truly, it was a truly transformative moment. Now we complicate a little bit in church. Maybe you're here and you've, you, you've you been journeying, you've been hanging out for a while and just, there's been this slow shift and change where you've begun to let that truth sink into your heart and you begin to recognize Jesus for who he is, but it, here, let me tell you the reality is if you can see Christ as Lord, if you can, if you can hear the truth of Jesus and believe it, that's a, that's a Holy Spirit-enabled thing. You would be blind without it. You don't need to say or repeat a prayer necessarily. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then there's salvation for us. You know, if you're here today, I want to pray for, bow our heads again, I want to pray for somebody, maybe multiple people, maybe all of us, and you walk with Christ and, and you know the Lord and you identify as a follower of Jesus, and, but you just know that there's been maybe habitual sin or something in your life, conduct, that is inconsistent with, with his truth. And, and you just want to bring that before the Lord. I want to pray for your strength and I want to pray that you would have this, the courage to do so. He's faithful, church, to forgive. And he will give you the strength to live rightly before him. So if that's you today, just you know your heart. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. You know. Father, you see us all. You see behind what man sees, God. Your word says that you look at our heart, and you know those today who need strength to turn from sin, to repent. Lord, in that, this that just the quietness of this moment, God, would you give them the strength to bring that before you? to lay it at your feet, and to truly walk away transformed. I pray, Holy Spirit, for miraculous intervention and power over those who feel stuck in that sin. I pray, God, for radical, radical heart change, mind change, a renewing of the mind right now, an ability through the Holy Spirit to say no more to that sin. I pray for us, God, who are here today, and maybe we there's some inconsistencies that we're not truly aware of. Would you reveal to us where we need to put on right conduct? Because we know, God, we're in a battle. We're in a war. And one of the areas that the enemy is attacking is our heart, our righteousness. But I thank you, Lord, that in Christ, if we are in Christ, there's no condemnation because we've been justified through your gift, through your life, through your death, through your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift that you are. And I pray this Thanksgiving, as much as we get together with family and and we have good food and we gather around a table and maybe we reflect on the things that we're thankful for, today, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm made right for you because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. We exalt you. We love you. And everyone said, So, as you leave today and as you go about your week, consider the two sides to that coin, to that breastplate. Righteousness in Christ, thank God. But then in what ways do I need to align my behavior with his truth? And in doing so, you will find yourself defended greatly against the scheme of the enemy. Hey, bless you today. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.